Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Standard Age podcast, a casual conversation about the lives of entrepreneurs and those growing companies. This podcast has been a wonderful supplement to my apparel brand, Standard H, which serves up elevated casual automotive and travel-inspired apparel and accessories to you discerning car and watch lovers. It's been a blast recording these episodes, and if you like what you hear, please visit standard-h.com and sign up for our email list. Our recently revamped website not only hosts every episode of this show, but also allows you to explore the entire product assortment and our latest travel recommendations. As an email subscriber, you will then receive offers no one else is privy to, and I can promise it'll be well worth your while. Just hit pause real quick and hop over to standard-h.com to sign up. We'll be here waiting for you to hit play when you return. Watch collecting is often described as a journey, and along these roads of exploration, you may encounter independently owned brands you've never heard of creating some of the most incredible timepieces. If you're in search of these brands, look no further than Passion Fine Jewelry, owned by former Standard Age podcast guest Tim Jackson. Offering incredible timepieces as well as phenomenal customer service, Passion Fine Jewelry is California's largest independent watch dealer located right here in Solana Beach, just north of San Diego. There you will find Roger Smith, Gronfeld, Kudoke, Habring, Sarpaneva, Roman Gauthier, and many more. If you can't make it to California, visit passionfinejewelry.com for their entire offering online. This episode is also brought to you by Contonement. Contonement's flagship product, the Kerchief, is a perfect medium between a handkerchief and a bandana. Featuring iconic designs such as a Fender Stratocaster and the dashboard of a Volkswagen GTI, these utilitarian cloths are an item that should be a mainstay in your everyday carry. Tuck one in a back pocket or use one as a neckerchief. Visit them at Contonement Co. That's C-A-N-T-O-N-M-E-N-T dot co and use the code STANDARDH in all caps, no spaces, for 20% off their entire online shop. Now let's get to the show. Vijay Geronimo is the North American CEO of Oris, a watch brand no doubt near and dear to many of you listening. I connected with Vijay originally through previous Standard Age podcast guest Josh Shanks, only to further hear what a wonderful guy Vijay is from Oris collaborator Cole Pennington. Well, the Vijay rumors are absolutely true, as you'll hear in this episode. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation getting to know Vijay, who even turned the tables on me towards the end. I knew I liked Oris watches, but as Vijay shares insight into their efforts both ecologically as well as ethically, my affection for the brand only grew. We dive fairly deep into the history of Oris as well as Vijay's role within the company hosting not one, but three CEOs. When you hear all that Vijay's accomplished in his career, it only makes sense as to why he is where he is. We also spend a few minutes discussing baseball as well as the Oris Bear, which is fun. It's times like these when I truly feel fortunate to be even a peripheral participant within this wonderful community of watch folks, and I'm sure you'll understand why upon hearing the thoughtful responses from Vijay. I'm confident you'll enjoy this one. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to the Standard Age Podcast. VJ, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Um, we're here in Chicago at Wind Up. Sunday morning. Sunday morning. I barely have a voice. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you a little bit. I think there are a few of us that fit this description. 
Um, this is my first trade show. I take it you've probably done several. Yeah, we've um, actually with WindUp, we've been um, a sponsor of WindUp since the beginning. So awesome. This is probably between you know New York and San Francisco, and yeah. now we've done so many of them. So, but this is definitely um, if you haven't been here before, it's definitely a really nice stepped up presence for them. I think it, it's really the venue is really nice. Chicago specific. Chicago and just the venue and how they're doing things. I think it's really. Um, it's, it's really a destination that people should see, cool. especially people into the, into the watch world. Nice. So, yeah. I was hanging out with Cole Pendington two weekends ago. Great guy. Bachelor party in San Diego, <laughs> uh, for a mutual friend of ours, his, his best friend. I I'm the third wheel, uh, among, well, actually I was like the 10th wheel for that thing, but, uh, he has nothing but great things to say about you. I think you guys have been to South America together or something. We weren't in South America, but he went to South. He went to South America with for something that we're working on, so which will uh, be revealed shortly. Okay, so, I have no details. Yeah, other so, than location, which I don't even have because I got the continent borderline wrong for you. <laughs> yeah, he was he was down there, so it was uh, it was good. But we're excited about what's coming from that too. Yeah, so, yeah. I yeah. Uh, I told him I was gonna be sitting down with you, and he's like, "Oh man, I love that guy." Yeah, I love him too. So, no, and I think it's you know I think it's with our watch industry and just people. Sure, it's it's so much about the people in it as much as it is about the product. And I think you know um, he's he's one of the good ones. You I know? think there's nothing that displays exactly what you just said quite like this show. Yeah, you know, like having everybody sharing information, talking to each other, the friendliness, the camaraderie, just within the same industry, and then. Very know, much. The customers, no less, obviously. So. Yeah, but it's so it's so nice uh, yeah. to do it. So, yeah, we, I'm sure we have a lot of mutual friends. Yes, 100%. <laughs> you sound like you're from the Northeast. Oh, I do. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm, uh, I grew up in basically suburban New York City. I grew up in Rockland County. Okay. So um, I usually, I grew up in Congress, New York, but okay. people don't uh, really know Congress, New York. So I say Rockland County because that's probably right. what people know. So, and I'm in uh, Connecticut now. So I live in Connecticut. Awesome. So now, now, do you commute into the city or you work from home? I do not. So our um, North American headquarters for Oris is in uh, Norwalk, Connecticut. So uh, I commute down there. So about a 20, 25, 30 minute commute in the mornings from where I am. Not, not so too shabby. It's good. Could, yeah. could be a lot worse, I'm sure. Definitely. Uh, so what was childhood like in, in New York where you're from? Like, what did your folks do? So, um, my folks were, they grew up in my, my family grew up in the Bronx. So they actually grew up. My, um, my mom was, she was actually the tax receiver for our town. Okay. So she was like an elected official in town. Um, my dad worked for, um, financing company and he would basically go out and like, if you had an air conditioner, like in those days, like when you had mom and pop sort of appliance stores and things like that, most times they would not necessarily put money out for their inventory, but they would finance it. So his company would basically help them finance it. And then he'd go out and, and kind of understood what was sold and, right. and uh, you know, work, work with the financing of the people. So he traveled a lot around, not, not overnight travel, but you know, day trips. So sure. as a kid, I went, I went with him to work and saw different things, saw different parts of, of the, of the city and, and around. So it was, it was pretty cool. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. What was high school like for you? 
um, high school, I went to uh, St. Joe's Regional High School in Montvale, New Jersey. So Catholic, all boys Catholic school. Interesting. Um, much like Cole Pennington, actually. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was good. And uh, yeah, my um, my friends from high school are probably my closest friends to this day. Oh, so, amazing! Yeah. yeah. Where'd you end up at university? So undergrad, I went to Lehigh University in sure. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Yeah. So um, yeah, and then I went to NYU for grad school. Finance, uh, marketing. Okay, accounting under accounting undergrad, uh, marketing MBA. So, nice. Yeah. Cool. So, what was kind of the first gig out of out of MBA school? So I was um, actually I was working for Movado Group at the time. So um, I went to school actually part time at night. So I would basically work all day, commute into the city, classes, and then come back. So. Um, my first gig, you know, I was basically working at Movado Group. I was uh, in the early days of kind of marketing and internet stuff. So I was in charge of the website and doing things like that or working on that project in the marketing department. Um, I had a lot of different roles there because I just did my background. And then um, my last job there, I was like um, brand operations and brand, uh, actually brand controller was my, was my position there. Okay, cool. So, and those were, <clears throat> I'm assuming, the days of the all-black Movado watch with the diamond at 12. The, the museum the dial. The museum, the museum, yeah. Yeah, yeah the museum dial. Um, and I wasn't on the sales side of that business. I was just, I was in, you know, the corporate office side of it, so um, did a lot. But yeah, the museum dial. And, you know, and then they also uh, Concord and Esquire at the time had come out and Coach had just come on. So sure. there were a bunch of different brands there at that, at that moment. But yeah. uh, the company was growing. Cool. Um, when I first started in 93, um, the company went public. So that was like the first year. So it was called the North American Watch Company and then it became public organization. I yeah, see. After that. So. so what got you into watches, at least from like the Movado Group standpoint? Yeah. So it's funny. Um, I wasn't a watch guy, so to say. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said I was, you know. My dad had watches growing up, you know, so you, you got familiar with them that way. Yeah. Um, uncles, things like that. But um, someone I worked with at, at my first job out of school, I worked for a company called Medco. Okay. They were a prescription mail order pharmacy company. Um, so I worked there for a little bit. And then someone I worked with went to work for North American Watch Company and asked me if I'd like to go work there. And I was like, Okay, I like you know the product. I was like, oh, it's cool, you know. Yeah. So I uh, that's how I got into the watch industry. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah, very much. So tell me a little bit about like how you left the Movado Group and kind of where you went from there. I mean, I'm assuming was there anywhere between there and yeah. Horus? So um, I worked for after Movado Group. I had positioned myself to. I had all the experience. You know, I had a lot of experience finance i had experience in technology i had experience in in marketing sure but i didn't have any sales experience so i actually went to work um some people i knew from avado uh were at swiss army victorinox swiss oh cool army. yeah so i actually took a sales territory for them um so i was a new england new england uh, territory rep for a bit of time for about three years or so what year was that that was like 2002 to 2005. Okay, because the officer's ratchet bezel was my high school graduation gift. Really? The 24205. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. He knows the numbers. <laughs> <clears throat> That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, that was, a, um, that was a good place to work. That was a good, 
I liked and enjoyed being there and yeah. you know, the products were good. The company was good. Sure. Um, yeah. And that was kind of put me on the road a little bit, got to know, um, retailers and accounts and things like that, especially new England. So yeah, that was there. Um, man, that watch holds up too. Yeah, definitely. Just design and size I think it's a 40 millimeter. Most, most definitely. Um, yeah, I feel like you're right. 38 to 40, somewhere in that somewhere in there neighborhood and the officer and then like the original, the, yeah. you know, that with the red, with the red bezel. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely iconic pieces. Totally. The recon. Um, so, so what is your title now? It's American CEO, US I'm CEO? CEO of North America for us. So, um, we handle the U S Canada and the Caribbean falls under our purview in our office. Cool. So, yeah. So it's great. And you know, um, after Swiss army, I went to work for a company called the LGI network. So again, people I worked with prior, um, a guy named Fred Levin started the LGI network, which basically went out and collected market research information, basically sales data from retailers in the watch world to report on it, to, you know, consolidate it and then report out, uh, performance data, things like that. So, um, if you know what IRI does or NPD, um, so when you go to the supermarket and you basically scan your groceries, there's companies that buy that data to understand what it what's is. being so bought with what? what's being bought, what's being sold, that sort of thing. So, um, that's what LGI did because there wasn't such a company. So it was a startup company and that's what we did in the, uh, in the watch industry. Very cool. So, yeah, that's interesting. So like, what were some like early statistics or data that were fascinating to you? So like we used to report on, um, you know, by door performance, um, how much the average door would do with certain brands, things like that. Right. And then also, you know, on the confidential retailer side, because we collected data from retailers, you could see how much data um, we would report to retailers, like basically how they're doing versus the average door. Sure. So basically how important are you to the brand yeah, for based, comps on, and stuff. based on the information that was there. So that right. was interesting. interesting. So yeah, my role, I, I, I was basically in charge of recruiting retailers to the program. So met a lot of people that way, a lot of national people. So, um, that was a good experience for me too. It's probably, you know, good that you worked in sales as well. Cause you kind of understood both sides yeah. of that coin. Exactly. Do you, do you miss sales at all? I mean, I, I, I mean, I certainly do it now too, okay. um, to an extent. How you so? Know, um, you know, just, just managing the sales, um, the sales team and, and doing that. We're a small company at Oris, so we're like 12 people in the U S no way. So we're not that, yeah, we're not that big. Oh wow. Um, so very, very close to it and very much, um, part of things that go on. So still, still part of that. But then obviously the other side, the, um, marketing side of things and administration side of things and all that. So, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. So I, I enjoy coming back into something that was, you know, LGI was a service. So it was more like a, it was a long process. It was, you know, right. some time, whereas, you know, watches are certainly the, very tangible and very, right. very much there. So far more direct now, yeah. the less third party vibe. Very much. Got very it. Got much. it. Got it. Cool. So, cool. Yeah. That's interesting. So, I mean, I know Oris has co-CEOs as well, right? Like over the pond. Right. So in Switzerland, um, Rolf Studer, who is our co-CEO and then, uh, Claudine, um, she's, she's our co-CEO as well. So Rolf, um, handles 
basically all of the sales, marketing, product side of it. And then Claudine does all of the, the back office, um, finance, finance administration, yeah. things like that. So Very cool. that's how it's broken up. Yeah. And so what is that like for you then to then know that they're there, even though you have CEO as a part of your title as well? Yeah. Is no, that- it's, I mean, it's, it's a, um, it's a title. It's, it, it doesn't bother anybody at all. You know sure. what I mean? We're all kind of on the same thing. It's just, just a formality, I guess, of, of geography, geography and what we're doing. I mean, Rolf is great. If you've ever met Rolf Studer, um, and Claudine's great too. But I, I mean, Rolf is, you know, has been out a lot in the market. People, people know him and, and, you know, I couldn't say enough about, um, the organization and the people that we work for on Swiss parent company and, you know, kind of the philosophy that they have definitely comes down to our company too. You know, everyone is, hands-on you know everyone works hard plays hard like that's our that's our thing and and really just that's standard h baby yeah (laughs) (laughs) but try not to you know we don't take ourselves too seriously we really just try to do the right thing and and you know be genuine in our approach to things and how we go about things so i think that's been that's been strong that's very cool yeah um i was gonna ask you kind of as far as like the brand is concerned for most people listening to this know what Oris is. Right. There might be a handful or maybe two people that don't <laughs> really know the history. Right. You guys, I know you were founded in 1904. 1904, so 118 years old. Um, we only make mechanical watches, so there's no quartz, quartz at all yeah. in what we do. We're one of the last, I'd say, independent. Well, I, we're one of the last independent sort of mainstream manufacturers in Switzerland, obviously now with the advent of micro brands and things like that. But, you know, we're one of the true independent brands in Switzerland that's been around a long time. So are your movements in-house? We have some in-house movements that we make. Um, We also use some Salida movements as well. Okay. So, um, you know, if you know stuff, if, yeah, if you know much about the industry and about that, you know, we were sort of one of the first partners of Salida, um, early on. So we, we used Salida movements for a long time in our product. Um, in 2014, we came out with our first in-house caliber in about 35 years. Um, and then in 2020, we came out with our first automatic caliber in, in about 40 years. But between 1904 and 1982, we made about 200 and I think the number's 282 of our own calibers. Wow. So we were one of the 10 largest, uh, Watch companies in Switzerland, in the peak of our production, we made, I think, a million two units a year or something like that. So we were, wow. yeah. So not a lot of people know that history yeah. of it because, you know, once the quartz crisis came to Switzerland and everyone closed down their manufacturing and um, bought things from ETA because that was what saved the industry, so to say, mm-hmm. um, you know, we definitely participated in that. But um, before that, we were we were definitely... A strong manu- on the manufacturing side, so now sure. we're now we're back into it. So yeah. yeah, so how strong is that heritage then for you guys? It's it's really strong. I mean, I think it's one of the things that really makes us what we are. Um, first of all, our independence is certainly something that is a is a spirit that we have. Mm-hmm. It's a philosophy. It's a mindset that we carry, and it's not just you know financial independence, but also it's just a way of thinking. And, you know, we're allowed to do things and, and do things. We're not beholden to shareholders or sister brands that are in certain, you know, stay in your lane kind of thing. We basically right. do 
what we want to do. So that's that's neat. Well, I was going to ask you that because if you Google who owns Oris, yeah, it'll come up independent, and then there's some blurb that says that it's owned by Swatch Group. No, so um, there was a period of time back in the. 1970s uh, from like 1970 to 19 I, I don't know the exact year if it's 1970 to 1982 the company was owned by Asawag which was the predecessor company to Swatch Group so I it see. was independent for many years then in 1970 it got bought and then and then when the quartz crisis hit they started making some quartz watches there they closed down the manufacturing and then um Dr. Rolf Portman, who was the uh, the general manager of Oris at the time, and Ulrich Herzog, who was the marketing manager, mm-hmm. did a leverage buyout of the company in 1982, took it back independent, and from that day on, still we only made mechanical watches. Which at the time, if you think about the quartz crisis, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and the advent of new technology and all the stuff that was sweeping the industry. To go out and say we're only going to make mechanical watches at that point was a pretty bold move at the time. So I think it, you know, it was something that definitely was uh, something we stayed true to and still stay true to this day. Wasn't that sort of the the hurdle or at least the approach that Jean Claude Beaver took as well with Blancpain? Didn't they release like a mechanical watch like early '80s? Uh, I would, I'm not exactly sure of the okay, history okay. of that, yeah, but, yeah. but maybe, yeah. you know, but it's interesting that you guys could have, I guess, in theory been doing the same thing yeah. with a completely different aesthetic, I would presume. Yeah. And, and Ulrich had traveled to Japan and saw like the, the desire for mechanical watches. Right. And that was one of the kind of the catalysts to kind of making that decision That's cool. um, to cut, co- to come back and do that. And I think it just. You know, in our philosophy as Oris, we were always founded on a industrialized approach to manufacturing. So it was never, you know, we were never the hand adorned movement. We were never the one off. Right. We were always the basically industrialized approach, bringing a good watch to a lot of people. That yeah. was the philosophy. And that still is the philosophy today. Yeah. So. Abundantly clear for sure. Um, yeah. I love the aesthetic. What is the assortment? What was the assortment like when you joined and like, what is it like now? Is it similar, different, grown, smaller? It's, um, it's a little different. I would say, you know, we have what we consider four worlds of products. So there's diving product, aviation product, um, motorsport product, and then uh, culture or more classic product. Okay. Um, I would say in the time that I've been with Oris, diving and aviation have definitely sort of taken over. Sure. Motorsport, while it still exists, you know, it's not strong part of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know, we used to be the sponsor of the F1 uh, Williams team for a long time. Right. So, but but given our focus on our sustainability and things that we've been doing, we've sort of come away from mm. from those type of things. And then, so the watches that were in that category, like the the Williams watches and things like that, have have sort of come out of the line. So sure. Um, you know, a lot of it now is diving and aviation. So within that product line, there's contemporary diving, which is Aquas. There's um, vintage diving, which is Diver 65, which, you know, those. as you yeah, which was something I would say if I had a point to a turning point in my time with Oris, I'd say the Diver 65 was definitely something that really put us on the back on the map in terms of just attention, especially among watch enthusiasts that watch really kind of 
did a lot for us at, the, at that time. Do you think that was design centered or do you think it was price centered? Why, why do you think it took off for you guys like that? I think it was, or both. It was kind of right at the start. And I, I actually like to think that that watch helped start the vintage trend in, in the watch that we've seen in the past number of years. I see. Um, I would say it was definitely, and it was a price point thing too. I mean, it was a, it was a very it's nice deal. Yeah. $1,800. It was a beautiful looking watch. It was something that, uh, you know, a perfect like replica of its, of its, um, uh, 1965. That was for year we made our first dive watch. So that's that what it was modeled after. Sure. And then after that, we followed with the Carl Bashir limited edition in the next year. So that really also took off and really, uh, you know, gave it even more legs. So cool. It's a, yeah. Is there anything that you do day to day or, and, or part of your job description that may surprise people? Like, do you have any influence on design, for example, or anything like that? Yeah, I think the way that Oris works, you know, we have obviously a design team in Switzerland, but mm -hmm. we certainly, I think one of the things that I get most satisfaction, and I know my, my group does too, is that if we ask for something or give product feedback or things like that, it, it gets implemented, right. it, gets, it gets done even, and I, obviously too, and I'll go a step further with consumers, sure. you know, if, if, if there's comments or things that come about, we, we will actually implement that into, um, you know, into product. So we take product feed, feedback very seriously. We try to kind of, you know, because that's, that's your consumer base. That's right. what people want. Right. So um, I think that's one of the things that, that is, is good and a little, not surprising, but I, I think we have a reputation for that, but that's certainly something that, that we do. You sure. Know? Yeah, yeah, no, that, I think that's really cool. Cause also again, a benefit of being a small company is because that, you know, family atmosphere is like, you know, the dinner table. So this becomes a conversation, you know, very much. And I think, you know, being a small company to your point, there's a lot of things that you do, you know, there's not 30 people that do something. There's, you know, we're all a small team, so there's times when doing different things. There's times when I've shipped watches before. You know, it's not. Yeah. It's just not something that, um, you know, we're not above above anything kind of thing. How do you sort of balance you personally? How do you sort of balance sales versus production, and how much to produce of what? And you know, what kind of data and metrics are you using? Or, or is it just, let's grow 4% per year? Is it, I mean, I don't need hard data as far as that's no, concerned. No, sure. I mean, how do you I balance think it's, that? it's, you know, we look at, um, it's definitely experience over time sure. with our base. It's looking at products that we have. It's guessing. Forecasting has become, I'm not going to say more challenging, but the way that product is being released now where right. everything is, you know, it used to be you'd come to the Basel Fair, you'd release all your product for the year, you'd get a good sense of how people will order it, you get a sense of, you know, the reaction to it. Now, because everything is sort of not brought out until the time it's going to be launched and right. that's spaced out through the year, it's, it's that one, you know, that initial time that you have to guess right about or understand about to, to do it. But our production is certainly something that we focus upon you know we look at something we go out and solicit markets you know and again me being one of the markets but we go out and solicit markets get an understanding of what you know how the reaction is and then order from that perspective 
And you so. do that for the U.S., obviously, I would presume. Yes. But is the conversation in, within the company a global conversation always, or is it a European conversation versus a U.S. conversation? No, it's, it's always a pretty global conversation, or cool. it's a conglomeration of global global needs. Sure. You know, I'd have to say we're not a company, which I think one of our strengths is we don't just focus on one market, right? Mm. We've, we've always had this diversified approach to product. It, you know, it wasn't that... You know, at a time when everything was small, we're making product. People were making product for Asia, yeah. and everything was Asian-based. Like we're not, we're not in that realm. I, I like to say, I think right. we're across the board, pretty much um, even, even across markets. And then in our forecasting, obviously, that takes into account the whole, the whole global picture of it. Is your are your sales kind of concentrated in any area, particularly globally, as far as I the mean, company? Sales we're come? one of the biggest. You know, obviously, the U.S. is one of the biggest okay. markets in the company. Um, and then the Asian markets as well, pretty sure. good. And some of the European markets are very strong as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a, I wouldn't say we're atypical to other, you know, other companies, other watch companies, but it's just a matter of how we focus and, and what we do. Sure. Yeah. I'm obviously a designer myself for my own product, but like, are you paying attention to color trends? Are you looking at that or does Oris just kind of do its own thing? Um, a little bit. I think, I think certainly do that but i think we do a lot of stuff with the product line is very thought out in terms of i would say we don't just do things because they're commercially viable and sure. will sell right? right it's more as how does this fit into the product line that we have does it you know does it make sense to make this watch does it make sense within our own purview you know every and then when you have something that's successful you want to make something that's and it's it's not always the best thing to do so you got to keep right. yourselves right. um really focused on the whole product mix and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, we focus on some, some things like color and, and trends. Sometimes we set trends, I think. Yeah. Not, not, and I don't mean that arrogantly. I no, no, see, no. Like you see some of the things that we do and we have the ability just to do some crazy things. Right. Cause so, you're nimble. Yeah. Cause we're nimble and we don't, again, don't have a, the structure where we have to stay in a lane of certain product or things like that. So we can go from, our, you know, caliber 115 PPX skeleton to like a bronze cotton candy watch to, right. you know, that's, that's kind of within our, within our purview. So, so that might be the answer already to, to my following question, but I wanted to ask you, like, what do you find that Oris does well that other brands don't? Um, I think it's, you know, product bait, like understanding, um, consumer demand for product. I think we do well in listening to consumers, mm -hmm. as I said before. Um, and then I think it's just, I think sometimes people just take themselves way too seriously in this industry of ours. Sure. And I think it's just acting with common sense, acting, you know, treating people the way you want to be treated, um, you know, not taking it all so seriously. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what sets us apart. That's great. You know? I love that. Yeah. What's on your wrist today? Um, I actually have the new New York Harbor on my wrist today. Okay. So this we launched a couple of weeks ago uh, in conjunction with the Billion Oyster Project in New York City. Um, are you familiar with that? Now, this is the like pearlescent green, dial. Green mother of pearl. Mother yeah. of pearl, yeah. Yeah. So um, it, it's meant to uh, mimic the water of New York Harbor. Yeah. Um, and, and the oyster project, uh, the Billion Oyster Project. So what Billion Oyster does is they work to restore oysters back to New York Harbor 
as oysters are natural filters to water. Mm. Um, we do a lot around wa- water conservation. We do a lot around ocean conservation. So it's within our change for the better program. But the oysters will, um, they will filter out water. So the average adult oyster can filter 50 gallons of water a day. So no way. Yeah. So their 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 hope is that by 2035 they will have outplanted uh, a billion oysters back into the harbor and really make it what it was because at a time. New York Harbor was was one of the largest uh, oyster reefs in the world. Right. They carry, you know, oysters, they act as natural storm barriers. They filter the water. But with all the dredging in New York, with all the sewage, the raw sewage that sometimes heads up in the harbor. Sure. Just the pollution, things like that, the oysters and and over over. Um, fishing and overeating of oysters yeah. basically um, decimated the population. That, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so they they they're putting that back in, and they have this cool technique where they collect oyster shells from restaurants and they bring them back to Governor's Island where they're based. They cure them, they clean them, and then they put them in these cages, and then they put uh, oyster larvae in them, and then submerge them back in the water. Whoa! So yeah, it's really. And, and it's something that, yeah, it's something that you wouldn't think of because it's like, it's not some far away place. It's like your backyard, you know, five minutes off the coast of yeah. like you're standing on governor's Island and you're looking at, you know, the freedom tower, like right across the way. It's not a far away thing. And it's, uh, yeah, they, they're doing really good work. So we've, uh, we support it. We're supporting them and, and helping them tell the story. That's, so. that's incredible. I love that. What, um, it's such an interesting watch, right? Like with, with the dial and, and kind of its iridescence because it does have that, that mother of pearl. What's the product cycle for a watch like this with regards to like conception, you know, to, to actual product? And is that kind of the, the same sort of product um, length per usual per watch or is this, did this take longer? Yeah. No, it, it takes, um, you know, it takes us about a year probably from conception, depending on what it is. Um, you know, we do a lot of dial things and, you know, a lot of sampling of dials and different things like that. But our normal cycle is about a year or so. And, uh, yeah, that one didn't necessarily go through different iterations, but it certainly was something that they, they definitely nailed it with that one. And this is what... Uh, 40, 42? It is uh, 41 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's why I was confused. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is great. I mean, this comes on a rubber strap. Rubber strap. It comes with a bracelet as well. Okay. So, so it comes, comes with in both. a kit. Yeah. $2,700. So, and honestly, I've, I've been with Oris for, for a period of time. That watch has been selling very, very, very well. Like I haven't, I've, you know, it's been a while since I've seen one move that, that quickly like that. So. Is this your favorite model? Do you have a favorite model in the assortment? Um, that's one of my my new favorites, um, the Roberto Clemente limited edition that I was wearing for a bit. That that's my that's my favorite. You know, I'd say. And now, is this a VJ concept? Because I, I want to talk baseball with you. Okay. Okay. So where does this come from, the Roberto? So Clemente? we did do. You know, we started with baseball. Um, in 2019, we started, we just were looking to grow some general awareness for the brand. So yeah. baseball obviously was, you know, it's a, in the U S it's a very obviously large sport. People watch it. So we started, then we wanted to do a watch around baseball. 
And obviously as a brand, we're very thoughtful of how we do things. So we wanted to find um, an organization to work with. So when I think about baseball, you know, you think about Roberto Clemente and, you know, obviously he was a great baseball player, you know, Pittsburgh Pirates, 1955 to 72, lots of records, um, you know, a lot of hits, all the, all the baseball accolades. Athlete. Yeah, athlete. But what he was known for as well was he was very much um, a humanitarian. He was yes. one of the greatest sports humanitarians of all time. He was an activist for, for minority people. So we wanted to obviously work with someone or work with something like that that fit our brand very well. So um, just reached out to the Clementes, the Clemente Foundation, and just developed a relationship and... And then came the watch. So um, now, do proceeds or anything go towards so, like an estate or yeah? Anything so like proceeds that? Um, went to the foundation. So part of the proceeds went to the foundation. We also gave them a bunch of watches, obviously around that. So with COVID, they haven't had um, a gala or something like that. So they're actually planning a charity, uh, one of their big galas this year. Great. So um, what usually happens in those situations is the valuable numbers, like the 21 piece of the Roberto Clemente limited edition because his number was 21. Sure. It's probably the most valuable of it. So I'm sure that'll be auctioned for charity um, to help the foundation. Like that's that's how it works. Very cool. Yeah. And then we actually gave um, each winner of the Roberto Clemente award, uh, all the past winners of that watch. And if they were deceased, their family got the watch um, of the year of their, of their winning. So, wow. You know, Derek Jeter won it in 2009, so he got 2009 of 3,000. It was 3,000 piece limited edition. Oh, I see. So, yeah, so that was that That's was cool. incredible. So, I just got goosebumps. Uh, so, you're from the Bronx. I mean, his family. The family, family is. Yeah. So, you're a Yankee fan. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Very much. So. so, I live in San Diego. Okay. I see the Oris billboards in Petco. <laughs> yeah. How do you pick? Because I think according, I think Josh told me that you guys have five stadiums that you kind of sponsor is that right or we we work with um we work with the yankees we work with the padres um the chicago white Sox, and the atlanta braves okay so, so four, four those okay four. cool and then we do some stuff with mlb proper as well so how did you pick those four um your favorite stadiums or something just trying to pick the winners ah. <laughs> <laughs> just trying like to pick it. the winners and geography right so just yeah. trying to you know Midwest, South, Midwest, Northeast, cover, yeah, West covered. Coast, but yeah. you know, obviously, the Braves have the largest. You know, the whole Southeast with the Braves, totally. Um, Padres, obviously, yeah, out there. So it's good. But and then obviously, who's who's who are good teams, right? So yeah, um, you got to come to a game. My wife and I go to games intermittently, and and this last time, I um, I think I sent. I think I sent a text to Josh and tagged Oris and I yeah. was like zoomed in on the sign. Zoomed in just, on the sign. Well, you let me so know. Cool. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get you out there. It's actually going to be Oris day on September 5th. No kidding. At uh, Petco park. Yeah. So, Oh, well I'm there. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So would love to I'll probably go. be there as well. Oh, amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. So, we should uh, grab dinner or something. Yeah, definitely. Or, or a hot dog. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have, uh, the Airstream will be there too. The Oris Airstream. Cool. So, and we're going to give, uh, Oris bear, Padre mugs. So oh, that's the giveaway for that. Yeah, for that. So. so what is the history on the bear? And I know it travels. Yep. So it's the, been stolen in Switzerland before, it right? It has. It has. So the bear... Um, so it's like its own personality or something. It is. Um, in the early 2000s, um, 
we came up, we, one of the artists that helped us with one of the collections, the Artillier collections, he was working on this project in Switzerland around bears. And as part of working with us, he created these little bears. So there was a, like a watchmaker bear, there was an F1 driver bear, there oh, was cool. a pilot bear. So they were small bears. So um, in the mid, basically, I think it was 2015 maybe, um, they were looking for something for Basel. So they made a big bear based on the little bears and, and put them there and then he just took off in there. So it was like a, you know, um, something that's where it came about. And now it's like all over. Yeah. Um, you know, the bear is very popular. But we see the bear as a canvas for emotion, right? Sure. So we don't have celebrity ambassadors. We don't do anything like that. So when you look at it, you know, Rolf likes to say, when you look at a teddy bear, um, it, it always has positive emotion, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it's a good canvas for that. And I think that's how we, that's how we see the bear. Yeah. So it's been uh, very, very, uh, very, you know, people really love the bear. And the kids love the bear. And yeah. People come and they take, you know, obviously pictures with the bear. So here at Windup, the bear has his own photo booth. So it's, uh, you make sure you take a picture with him. As a, as a long term Ralph Lauren fan, you yeah. know, the bear sweaters yes. that they make and yes. stuff like that. Yeah. It's just iconic. Like, yeah. it's, and they're kind of collectible too. Yeah. So I'm sure the, the, the Oris bear is. Yeah. In whatever iteration, be it a mug or otherwise, is probably highly collectible. Yeah. He's, uh, a lot of people, yeah. And he did almost get stolen in Switzerland. Okay, so. almost stolen. Okay, okay. <laughs> so he, I think I heard no, Waco I should, talk about no, it or something. I, actually, I shouldn't say almost stolen. He almost got stolen in Las Vegas afterward. Um, but in Basel one year, we had him at a party. We had an Oris party. Right. And then someone actually took him from the party like late <laughs> at night. And then he ended up somewhere and then put it out on social media that he was stolen. And he ended up getting returned. But like he, so, so the bear here is the bear, the bear here. He's not the original bear. Okay. He's not the original bear. The original bear uh, was with us for a, a bit of time um, here in the U S um, when, when the bear first was there, we had the bear here for a bit of time after. And then, uh, but the original bear has gone back to Switzerland. He's to back. Home. He's back. He's retired at home. So there's the new bears are around, but sipping martinis yeah. in, in Geneva yeah. or something. In his, in his, uh, in his suit, you know, He's, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, does he have a name or is he just called just the Oris bear? bear. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So that's very cool. What was your first car? My first car was a 1982 Buick Skylark. Amazing. <laughs> is that the, my cousin Vinny car? Two tar Uh, I don't know. No, okay, no, okay. no, no. I was trying to, it think. was a two door silver. It was like, yeah. So, okay. It was, it was $2,600. What do you drive so now? Used, uh, I drive an Audi A4. Oh, I love it. I'm a huge yeah. Audi guy. Yeah. That's so, great. That's my, uh, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not a huge, like fancy car guy. I just like something reliable and something that's there. So you're a big car guy though. Yeah. I mean, I try to be, you know, yeah. with, uh, the, the limited research, I don't have a garage full of, you know, Porsches and Audis and stuff as I would. I would love to own, <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe one day, you yeah. know, the, the what aspirations. Do you, what do you thing. drive? I have a GTI, nice. a 2017 GTI. In fact, during this show, I've, um, hosted the prototypes to a jacket I've designed cool. and I've had custom made lining in the jacket made in the same GTI tartan plaid from the seats of my car. 
Nice. So I'm always trying to rope in these like automotive inspirations into my line of apparel. So one of the latest uh, inspirations is, is quite literally my, my car, car seats. That's good though. That's yeah, it's, and it turned out fantastic. And, yeah. and frankly speaking, the jackets had an incredible reception. So, and I just brought them as prototypes cause I just got them back as samples. I wanted to kind of forecast and show clientele like what's to come. Right. And the reception, as I said, is, is just been phenomenal. So, I mean, beyond my wildest expectations. Congratulations. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been really fun, but it's nice to take your passion and turn 100%. it into something that like, you know, is very much you. And yeah. I mean, that's the that. brand, right? Yeah. Like I'm, I've been working in apparel for 20 plus years I love clothes as yeah. odd as that may sound. And, no, that's, that's, uh, but that I love watches too. And this podcast is, I guess, I mean, I, I'd almost have to label it the catalyst for me even being here just because of the, the episodes that I've hosted watch folks. Yeah. And as a result, you know, standard H is kind of becoming the, the apparel brand for the watch guy. Right. Right. And it's been fascinating to witness. Uh, it's been exciting to see and super fun. And as we started the conversation, I mean, the people are awesome. So it's yeah. like I couldn't ask for anything better. Do you feel like they know your brand being here? Like, is it something that people... Yeah, I've had, I've had people come up to me wearing my clothes already, which is... <laughs> which makes you really happy. It, yeah, I mean, that just makes your day. Even yeah. if it's just one person, let alone yeah. several, you know. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, y- yes... Um, the guys within the gray NATO. So James and Jason both have, yeah. are sort of serving as, as brand ambassadors as it were. And so they've been more than gracious to give me a shout out or two on, on their, on their uh, episodes. And, and so people will come over and be like, man, James Stacy just won't shut up about your product. <laughs> I have to come see this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and great guys too. A hundred percent. They're the, the absolute best. Yeah. Um, and, and, but, but everybody's been great. You know yeah. what I mean? But those two in, in particular Very are much. just yeah. amazing guys. And, um, nice. yeah, it's been phenomenal. What can you share about Oris that maybe gives us a little glimpse of what's to come? I mean, I think you'll see from us, um, I think we continue with doing things with a purpose. Sure. Like we try to have meaning behind the product. So I think you'll see some stuff from us that's very meaningful. Cool. Some stuff very relevant to California, actually. Nice. So in the, in the upcoming days. So oh, that'll, be, that'll be cool. Okay, um, great. Yeah, but, you know, continue to do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, the Caliber 400 movement that we have is certainly making its way into a lot of things. So probably see more from us in that in that sense love the the what, what is it oh god i'm gonna screw up the name the prospect uh um what's the new aviation watch the titanium one the new the uh the ppx Bruce, the ppx, PPX caliber so 400 yeah yeah. yeah yeah so that one's that's yeah that's has been, that taken off for you guys yeah especially the salmon dial yeah that piece has been taken off we launched it in geneva was that unexpected present like pleasant surprise the, the salmon pleasant surprise about yeah. the salmon you yeah. know but again, being able to do things in a bold manner and yeah. not really, you know, that's, that's been good. Um, it's a great size. The yeah. weight is fantastic from yeah. the titanium. From the titanium, 39 and a half millimeters. Yeah, it's really, it's so a nice, cool. nice piece. So Yeah, it's kind yeah. of like a stealth bomber for your wrist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very angular. Exactly. I love so, it. So, yeah, and it, you know, follows after the 115, which had that similar bracelet design a little bigger. Sure. But really just the design aesthetic is, is really cool. Cool. So, yeah. Awesome. So tell me about your, uh, tell me about your musical taste. 
my musical taste yeah um well let's see my first i usually ask other people what was the first cd you ever bought with your own money uh, or, well actually it may have been a tape for you it's weird because <laughs> <laughs> you're I, right you're right you're right. I bought my first CD player in 1986. Okay. It was oh, like that's some, early. It was some off-brand called like ProTech, something like that. At Crazy Eddie. Ever, did you ever know about Crazy no, Eddie? No, Circuit City. Like, yeah, I so Crazy Eddie. It was $99. Wow. And I think like there was, but it was a time too where there wasn't a lot out on CD. Right. So like a lot of music wasn't, wasn't it wasn't like they launched the format and all of a sudden all, yeah, everything's so available. There. Yeah. I think my first CD was David Bowie Changes One. Okay. I think. Solid. Which was which was yeah, just for me what's not you know, not David Bowie I like, but yeah. not like something I like really am into, but yeah. It was something that I think there was a song or two I really liked, so I wanted to get the C D. So I hold my head high as the the first C D I ever bought was Pearl Jam Ten. Okay. Which that album still holds up. Yep. You know, yep. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that one. Yeah. Um, I grew up with an older brother, but like we had tapes as kids, but I would say yeah. spending my own money, like it was Pearl Jam 10. Nice. Um, rode my bike to get that CD. Um, I played the drums. Okay. So I like bands with really good drummers. So yeah. love Zeppelin, obviously. Yep. I, I'm actually a Dave Matthews band fan. Okay. Because okay. Carter Beaufort's a beast. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I mean the rushes of the world, p- the police, yeah. I mean, Stuart Copeland's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I love good drummers. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of drawn to music like that. I mean, I'll listen to tool, gotcha. which, you know, Danny carries an animal. Um, so my taste is all over the place because I like hip hop too. Like anything with a right. good beat, you right. know? So definitely I always said, if you could, if you could put, uh, to, you know, Tupac's storytelling to Biggie's beats, that would be one hell of a combination. Nice. But uh, what about yourself? What are you listening to these days? I I have a very eclectic taste too. I mean, I'm a huge Springsteen fan. Cool. So well, you're you're North, you know, New York, yeah, New Jersey, New York, guy. New Jersey yeah. guy. Yeah, growing up to that. Yeah. Um, I like a lot of country music actually. Oh, interesting. So which is which is weird, but I grew know. up in North Carolina. Really? Yeah. So I, so you know. Yeah, I like um like Texas country music. Okay. So like the genre of like you know. Pat Green, Wade Bowen, Randy Rogers, Got people it. like that. In Nashville too. I mean, obviously, I like a lot of that stuff. But sure, yeah, a lot of that guy named Hayes Carl. Who you may may or may not. I don't heard know of. Hayes yeah. Carl. No. So really, really cool. And that's that's what's lately listening to. But I listen nice. to a lot of things. That's cool. Drawn a lot to live music. You know, anywhere. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's good. it's good to get back out and see bands now. Definitely. We went and saw the National two nights ago. Okay. At, yeah, they were uh, here at right around the corner, right? Yeah, Pitchfork. Nice. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, we scored some tickets and and, and we got there right as they started, and it was nice. It was an amazing show, super yeah. fun. Yeah, going to the um, Newport Folk Festival next week. Who's playing so that's there? Something. That, there's like a whole lineup of, of because they usually get people from old to new and yeah. different. Yeah, actually, there's a lot of acts I haven't even heard of myself. Cool. That are coming on, and then they usually, you know, the national usually plays that. Like they get they get some larger acts. Nice. Lucy Dacus. Um, John Moreland, who you may have heard of or not. No, but you know what? Mentioning bands you've never heard of and, and acts like that. Several years ago now, my wife, my best friend flew in from Texas. We were in San Diego's holidays. We went to this like holiday radio bash thing, something or another. There's, you know, five, ten bands playing. It was like Death Cab for Cutie and like some other some other people that were... Well, one of the openers was somebody I'd never heard of. It was this guy named Billy Eilish. Okay. 
had no idea who Billy was. And my best friend was like, I would love to go see Billy Eilish. And I was like, I don't know who he is. And then we got there late, missed Billy. Right. And now I'm very familiar with who Billy, Billy Eilish, Eilish is. is. Uh, th- that guy. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now I'm kicking myself because like yeah. we could have seen her play like yeah. early days. Yeah. So that I missed out on that. So so go see the bands you've never heard of is my, totally. my recommendation. No, and it's the way yeah, the way you find out, the way you, you learn things, you know. Yeah, totally. I have to say that music, you know, obviously we're talking about cassettes and tape, you know, it was like, you know, I was I was from the generation where you had to wait for your song to come on the radio and totally try hit to record. Re- try to record it, yeah. right? With the little tape player next to the speaker kind yeah. of thing. And now it's like everything is at your fingertips. But yeah. I have to say, I love the way, obviously, you can walk around with a whole catalog of music on your phone. So it's not like right. you have that. You can get a suggestion, like if you like a song, and then you can start a station around the song. Totally. So, so I love, I really love that about. Yeah, same. It's kind of like having flavors in your back pocket. You know, yeah. it's just like I'm craving this right now. Right. So I just, I want to get a taste of this. Yeah. So super it's, convenient. It's cool. Yeah. VJ, thank you so much for your time. Um, I can't wait to visit the booth later today. Thank you. Uh, everybody really needs to check out this uh, this oyster watch because it's 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 actually it's, it's stunning. The bezel's beautiful, like it's that kind of uh, matte, yeah, and then kind of a um, so it's like brushed and polished combination. Uh, it's fantastic. Thank you. And hopefully, hopefully, I'll see you on September fifth. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, my pleasure. All right. Hey guys, Wesley here. If you liked what you heard, maybe tell a friend about the Standard Age podcast. And if you have a moment, please rate and review the show as it helps others discover this podcast. Shout out to Jensen Reed and Super Beautiful for the theme track, as well as to Clear Audio for the noise-canceling headphones. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one. Take care.